I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. And this is our annual Valencrimes special. <laughs> That's right. Are y'all ready for tomorrow? Got your crime plan, I guess? Crime. <laughs> Uh, this time last year, we were talking about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah, yeah, we were. Naturally. Yeah. So what have you got this time? For this Valentine's, uh, Valencrimes, mm-hmm. uh, we are going to be talking about one of the uh, most famous serial killers. Yeah, especially yeah. For, for local folks, local to us, that is. Pretty big, though. I feel like it's pretty well, at least yeah. throughout the United States, thanks to a book. Thanks to that book. Thanks to uh, Devil in the White City. We are talking about H.H. H. Holmes. Also pronounced Holmes. Really? I hope so. H.H. H. Holmes is a famous serial killer. He owned what is known as the Murder Castle here in Chicago during the Chicago World's Fair. I'm pretty sure he did not put that sign above the door, though, right? No. Well, in his time, it was known as the castle. Afterwards, it became the murder castle. Mm-hmm. Claims say that he could have killed up to 200 people. What an enterprising young man! Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about those claims, though. And sure, sure. What may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. H. H. Holmes was born Herman Webster Mudgett. I understand why he changed his name shortly before moving to Chicago with a name like Mudgett. Well, serial killer equity already had a Herman Webster Mudgett, so he had to change it. It was a union thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so shortly before he moved to Chicago, he changed it to Dr. Henry Howard Holmes, but went by H.H. Holmes. Triple H, Mm -hmm. the the world's deadliest man. Yeah. Uh, He was born uh, May 16th, 1861 in Gilmanton, New Hampshire. Uh, he was the middle uh, of five kids. His parents were devout Methodists. His father worked as a farmer, trader, house painter. Would you say that the middle child in a large family is the most likely to be a serial killer? I am sure there is research on that. Okay. But... I will have to be careful around my father. Yeah. <laughs> I think You think he's murdering people with his walker? Anything can happen. It's just tripping all the other old people in their retirement home. It's the perfect crime. No one expects it to be anything but an accident. David over there just fell. I don't know. He just lost his balance. He's old. Um, Holmes graduated high school at 16. Mm-hmm. He uh, took a teaching job in his hometown and then another city nearby. At 18, he enrolled in the University of Vermont, but only stayed about a year. Mm-hmm. On July 4th, 1878, he uh, married. Uh, At the age of 17, he did. He did the marrying. It's the 1800s, folks. What are you going to do? When he died, he was only like 36 or 38. Dude works fast. 200 people, you say. Very quick time frame we're looking at. So he married Clara Loving. Mm -hmm. Lovering. Wouldn't it be Lovering? Yes. And they had a son together, Robert Lovering Mudgett. In 1880, Robert would go on to be a public accountant and actually city manager of Orlando, Florida. So is this getting the Disney tag or no? No. Okay. But yeah, so he didn't kill his son. We know that now. Whew. Grew up. In 1882, he went to the University of Michigan uh, and was a student in the Department of Medicine and Surgery. Imagine like the getting to know you game these days. You meet all your like undergrads that you're in your dorm with and are like, okay, two truths and a lie. Herman says he's been married for four years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he graduated from there in 1884. Uh, well, there uh, he worked in the anatomy lab under the chief anatomy instructor and had apparently previously apprenticed under another doctor that was known for advocating human dissection. <laughs> Dog. Well, Moki, what you have to understand is that it's actually the best way to to develop medical knowledge. <laughs> I hope that growl made it on Mike. Um. So during this time, it was believed that Holmes was involved in body snatching, which was not an uncommon practice at the time or with medical students of the time. Because you needed bodies to study, but you could not legally acquire bodies to study. Yeah. So you stole 
dead bodies. And also, you made them into, like, skeletons for, you know, research purposes. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a thing that was done. In 1884, Clara left and went back to New Hampshire and had very little knowledge of what he was up to after that. <laughs> there, there's some accounts of him being violent with her, but then there's a lot of accounts that were like, well, he never showed this, like, a bad side to other people. Mm -hmm. So, hard to say there. He went on to move to New York for a while. Moore's Fork, mm -hmm. New York. I'm not sure where that is in New York, but it's in New York. It's where Moore's left and Moore's right meet. Yeah. At the fork. At the fork. It was rumored that he was seen with a small boy there before this child disappeared. But no investigation ever took place. He was not charged with anything, but he very quickly left uh -huh. town. Uh, and then he moved to Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, and he briefly worked at the state hospital there, but mostly worked in a drugstore. Uh, while he was working at that drugstore, a boy died from taking a medicine that was bought from there. Uh, and he den denied any involvement and left. Well, in his defense, half the medicines those days were just cocaine. <laughs> yeah, Under yeah. different names. So, like, ooh, hard to know. <laughs> in 1886, he married uh, Myrtle Belknap in Minneapolis. Uh, Who is well, naming these people? <laughs> well, he was still married to Clara. This is like reading a casting page for the, the next season of Fargo. Yeah. What is with these names? So he filed for divorce from Clara a few weeks later, stating infidelity on her part, which was never proven, and the case was dismissed. Mm -hmm. And records kind of show that she might have never have known, actually, that he was trying to file for divorce. Like, she was never notified of any of this. I'm pretty sure she'd have been cool with it, though. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't like... seen your husband in six years, what do you care if he's not your husband anymore? Yeah. He and Myrta arrived in Chicago that year. They had a daughter named Lucy, who was born on July 4th, 1889, uh, <laughs> in the neighborhood of Inglewood in Chicago. Uh, and she did live. She became a public school teacher. She did not die. All right. So we know no murder there. You think when uh, Lucy was born, he was like, oh, and your birthday, I'll never forget, is my wedding anniversary. And his wife's like, you're what now? Other wife. Never mind. <laughs> no, uh, never mind. What? Uh, <laughs> how silly of me. America's anniversary. That's what I meant. Yeah. So they lived in Wilmette, Illinois, though he spent most of his time in Chicago. What was he doing at the time? More like pharmacy business? We're, yeah, we're going to get to that in just a second. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Just want to pop in, though, that in 1893, he married another girl named uh, Georgiana Yoke in Colorado. <laughs> and I guess she stayed out in Colorado. <laughs> but he had three wives that we oh. know of officially. So his three passions... Mm -hmm. Medicine, murder, and party planning. Dude loves throwing a wedding. Well, swindling. Yeah. <laughs> Swindling's a big one. Uh, but yeah, so what was he doing in Chicago? He was looking for florists, photographers, <laughs> caterers. Getting his tux fitted. <laughs> no, so he got a job at Elizabeth S. Holton's drugstore, which was on the southwest corner of Wallace Avenue and West 63rd in Inglewood. Many stories say that he eventually killed Elizabeth and her husband and got the drugstore from them when they mysteriously disappeared. That's not the case. Eventually, he did buy it from them. Mm -hmm. The Holtons continued to live in the Inglewood neighborhood for years and then California. <laughs> she lived a very long time. Her husband a little less, but they both were alive. Every time you say that, that 200 is counting down. We're at like 193 now, I think. <laughs> So he owned that drugstore. Is the twist ending of this that he never killed nobody? Like, are we exonerating Holmes? <laughs> no. Okay, all right. <laughs> we're just giving him a little less credit is what we're doing here. Or maybe a little more, depending on well, your perspective. I don't know. There's some mystery in this we're going to get to, too, though. Okay. It's hard okay. to know in some ways. So he also bought uh, an empty lot that was across from the drugstore, which is where in 1887 he began construction on a two-story mixed-use building 
uh, that would have retail space on the first floor. The building that would get the nickname of the castle, and then later, the murder castle. It was a very large building. It was also known for being, like, an odd building. Also, he had jousting in there. He served oh, yeah. a lot of mead. Yeah. Very castleicious. People say when he started construction on this place that it was immediately he was going to construct this this building that would serve as a hotel for the World's Fair. Well, he began construction kind of before they decided where exactly the World's Fair was going to take place. But what if he just <laughs> knew in his heart, he felt it, yeah. that those New York SOBs weren't going to get the bid? Yeah. Well, at the time, too, he didn't have plans for it being a hotel yeah. of any sort. His plan for this building, though, was to swindle. It's a, it a great big boondoggle. Yeah. Money laundering and embezzlement and, and insurance fraud. Yes, and it was designed in a way that it could be used for many things. I feel like it's that like scene from Les Mis where like... <laughs> The master of the house scene? Yeah, like where they're just like stealing stuff out of like different like, oh, this cabinet's actually a door and this is this and I can grab your pocketbook from here and I can grab this from here. Mm -hmm. That's very much what this place is like. Like it's the plans like for the like the second floor was like the rooms were like in this U shape in a way you could almost go from room to room to room without ever going out into the hallway. <laughs> but then some of the rooms never opened out to a hallway. They just opened out into another room. They opened into another room. Um, some of them didn't have windows. Most of them, a lot of them did not have windows. Some of them had doors that didn't go anywhere. There were chutes that went to the basement for no reason. This episode brought to you by Winchester in theaters now. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's not. No. It had a lot of stuff that was like, well, you can kind of see how... If it was not, like, murder on the mind, that'd be a great way to, like, steal people's stuff. <laughs> but through, throughout the construction of the building, he refused to pay many of the companies and employees that worked for him. He did a lot of stuff on credit and then was like, oh, I'm not going to pay you. Mm -hmm. uh, or he just would fire people and then hire new ones, which definitely led to the people who worked on the building not knowing the full layout of it. Mm-hmm. You're having this quick turnover. No one's ever seen the full plans. No, the people who worked on the f one area have been long gone. We're on set number five now, construction crew. Right, right. No one's going to know what this place is actually like. Now, in 1888, he was being sued by um, the steel company and another company because they weren't being paid for their stuff. Later, he would add on a third floor that would be used as a hotel for the upcoming World's Fair. So he did add on with that idea, but it's not a hotel in the normal sense. Like, there was not going to be, like, a front desk. This, these, were, these were flats. They right. were apartments um, that could be short-term or longer-term. Now, he got into more trouble when uh, some of the furniture suppliers uh, found out that he was hiding some of the materials that he had never paid for in, like, hidden rooms and passageways in the building. <laughs> and this actually ended up making uh, the news, which made some of his investors in the hotel part pull out. I bet they felt pretty vindicated uh, <laughs> a little ways down the road. So the third floor actually caught fire on August 13th, 1893. Uh, and Holmes had taken out uh, four large insurance policies on it. Again, anyone who buys insurance in the 1800s, <laughs> confirmed murderer. And uh, the insurance companies were like, hmm, no, we're not paying you. <laughs> this seems weird. No. So that didn't work. They didn't even like draw straws to see which one of them No, paid. they were all like, no. None of them. All right. No. Um, it is said that the like third floor, though, uh, that was added on before it burned was like really poorly built. Oh, you don't say. Like, what, what with the fire and all? You, well, beforehand. Like, you could, like, <laughs> kick a foot through something. And, like, there'd be a hole, like, instantly in the floor or something. You'd just mm -hmm. be walking and, like, fall through. So, yeah, as I said, it was, it did burn. It did not burn down the building. Mm -hmm. It did gut the second and third floors, which were demolished and rebuilt. Often it said that the entire b building, like, burnt down. Mm-hmm. Either from this or it burnt down, like, later. That wasn't the case. The building remained in use. It was going to have another fire that happens, but it wasn't torn down until 1938, which was, like, 
right after it stopped being in use. Mm -hmm. So it was there. Currently, the Inglewood branch of the post office, like, overlaps with it a little bit. It shares a little bit of footprint. Yeah. And then, like, there's empty space Mm -hmm. where it was. That's the spooky part of the post office. Yes, that little bit. Everyone, (laughs) people often say that, like, oh, the post office sits there, like, where it was. Well, like, an eighth of it does. (laughs) Little tiny bit. If you ever get something lost in the mail and you think it was routed through Englewood, it's it, they put it in Ghosts. the spooky part Ghosts. that nobody wants to go to. Yeah, yeah. If we do uh, accept the fact that he could have killed <laughs> hundreds of people, uh huh, uh huh. Having a, a business in that location that has apartments that could be short term leased. Uh, makes a lot of sense during the World's Fair. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people coming and going, traveling in and out, people traveling alone. People um, who don't know nobody in town. Yeah. There was a lot of missing persons that came up after fairs, after right. World's Fairs. So there is a lot of opportunity for people to go missing. It goes very back and forth about what could have happened in the castle. Pretty much these things have never been proven. <laughs> <laughs> like... The stories like to say that there were, uh, some of the rooms were built as uh, gas chambers. Ooh. So you could pump gas in to, to kill people. That there were like blowtorch-like devices in rooms and stuff that would just like burn someone. The basement had a stove, uh, or chimney, that could be used for like cremating bodies. That there was an acid pit, a quicklime pit. That he had, like, tables set up for dissecting people. Also, like, there were, like, alarms attached to rooms. But we don't really have any evidence. Because when knowledge of homes and some of the events we're going to talk about very shortly came out into the public uh, and the Chicago police finally did investigate the castle, Mm -hmm. there was, like, nothing left. (laughs) Because it was a few years later and also... There was another fire, so there wasn't much there. Mm -hmm. So another problem we come with looking at Holmes and like, did he murder people? What was he up to? What was he doing? He was a swindler. He used lots of aliases. He was a con man. At the time, there was like 50 lawsuits against him in Chicago alone Mm -hmm. for his business practices. Um, So a lot of like the paper trails and knowledge of what he actually owned was involved with is kind of wishy-washy. But things we do know. (laughs) This is where we get into some of the crime that we can say happened. I'm so glad we're getting into historical facts 20 minutes into our history podcast. There's been lots of historical facts. (laughs) Historical debunking and historical maybes. Holmes met and became close friends with a man named Benjamin Peitzel. He was a carpenter with... A criminal past. You know how those carpenters are. Yeah. They're Jesus. They're pretty swell guys. That's right. <laughs> Every last one to a man. In 1893, a woman by the name of Minnie Williams moved to Chicago. Holmes offered her a job as his personal stenographer at the hotel. How many hotels or at, or at the, need the a castle stenographer? With his business. I mean, he was running, like, say hotel, it's the entire building. He's running the drugstore in it. Right. I'm, I don't know the drugstore business intimately. Personal stenographer. Hey, hey. I'm just wondering how often you need an exact transcript of things that were said at the drugstore slash hotel slash retail space. This, this is how he got her in. Okay. And then he also convinced her to transfer the deed to property she had in Fort Worth, Texas. To a guy named Alexander Bond, which was Holmes. (laughs) And she did later that year. And he served as notary. And then he transferred it over to Peitzel uh, under another name of Benton T. Lyman. So they now have this property. Uh, The next month, he and Minnie uh, presented themselves as married. Mm Mm-hmm. Whether they ever actually got married, there's there's no proof of, but they started living as a married couple. I'm willing to bet they did not get factually legally married, even if she thought they did. Yeah. There, there's nothing, like, showing that she says they did either. Right. 
engaged, maybe. Married, no. But they lived that way, and they began renting a place uh, together on the north side of Chicago. Uh, Minnie's sister came to a vi- to visit uh, for the World's Fair and to spend time with her sister. And in the summer, she wrote their aunt saying that she was having a wonderful time, talking about how amazing Holmes was, mm-hmm. uh, and that they were going to accompany Brother Harry to Europe. <laughs> like he had, he had charmed both of them over. Neither sister was ever seen again after July fifth. One day late. <laughs> One day late. <laughs> in 1894, Holmes was under a lot of pressure from the insurance companies for the fire that happened at the castle. Right. The first fire. The first fire. So he left town and went to Fort Worth to the property that Minnie had. While he was down there, he uh, began construction on another Chicago-like castle building. Mm-hmm. Multi-use, large building. Castle 2. Getting castle it right this two. time. It was completed, but it was never actually, like, put into use by him. Like, he, he never opened any businesses in it. And it was about twice the square footage of the Chicago one, because it was on a larger lot, but it was, like, exactly the same setup. Mm-hmm. The materials, though, like what he did, was bought on credit, and then, you know, didn't pay, and he got involved with some, like, horse swindling schemes down there, too. Um, well, yeah, you gotta use what you got. You're in Texas. You do horse scam. Yeah. Horse crime. The official crime of Texas. Yeah. So he was doing all that. I do want to say that building also did not get torn down until the 1930s. Oh, they were built to last. Amazingly. (laughs) Amazingly. So in uh, 1894, uh, Holmes was arrested for selling uh, mortgaged mortgaged goods in St. Louis. Well, he's got to go where the world's fairs are. Yeah. Uh, Ten years ahead of time. Yeah. Don't at me. Uh, So he was... Bailed out, but while in jail, he met a convicted outlaw named Marion Hedgepeth. Um, Holmes wanted to con the insurance company. He wanted to fake his own death after taking out a life insurance policy on himself to get $10,000. So he promised Hedgepeth $500 if they could give him the name of a lawyer that would support this. Mm Mm-hmm. Got a name and went to a St. Louis attorney named Jephtha? Jephtha, you say? Jephtha how? I'm not sure how to Jephtha. I've never Jephtha. tried. Uh, unfortunately, it failed. Uh, because <laughs> Unfortunately, the... you're rooting for this guy? Well, you know, he's trying really hard. Uh, <laughs> the insurance company became suspicious again and refused to pay. Mm-hmm. So then he's like, hmm, well, maybe instead of me faking my death... I could have my my good carpenter friend here, mm-hmm. Peitzel, fake his death. So we're going to fake his death. And then his wife will collect the $10,000. And then we'll split it between him and me and the attorney. And this will be great. So the plan was to take place in Philly. Peitzel was going to uh, pose as an inventor named B.F. Perry, uh, who would then be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. Uh, the plan was to find a cadaver that could, you know, they could mess up and play mm-hmm. the role. Just like the old college days. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, Holmes decided, you know what? I am not going to be f- messed with by an insurance company again. We are doing this right. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so he did. Killed him. Uh, now, a call came in from the police that sent them to the building, and they found a body of a man who appeared to be the victim of an explosion. They had thought he'd been there about three days. Uh, they knew his name because he was the tenant of the building, recently moved in, waiting for his wife to come join them. The coroner decided that he died from burns, and then he laid unclaimed in the morgue for a while, like 10 days. And a few days later, a letter was sent to the insurance company for the claim. And then Holmes and Alice, who is one of Peitzel's kids, mm-hmm. and the lawyer showed up to identify the body, which they then exhumed so they could identify it you know this lawyer knows he's next right like you've become close enough <laughs> friends with this guy you get killed in an insurance scam that's just how it goes yeah it came through the money came through they collected the insurance now holmes went on to uh manipulate peitzel's wife uh into allowing three of her five children into his cuts custody how and why why would you do this he killed your husband 
She doesn't know that. <laughs> she she's all, she was in on the scam. So what he's telling her is that, oh, he is uh, over in London uh, laying low for a while mm-hmm. before he can come back and, you know, live here again. And she's like, okay. <laughs> uh, so she lets three of her five kids go. There was an elaborate scheme that happened where he's traveling with the children, like the northern United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. But then he's also, like, having Mrs. Peitzel, like, travel along a parallel route. Mm-hmm. I think in the Devil in White City book, if I remember correctly, like, in that in that story, the reason he's able to get her to do this is like, oh, we're going to meet up here. Oh, wait, you know what? We had to keep going. We'll meet up here. We'll meet up here. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know how he got her to, like, travel this way or whatever, <laughs> but they're traveling this way. At one point, like, they were separated by a couple blocks. Mm-hmm. But she, like, never knew where they were. Was never seeing them. During this, he was also traveling with his wife. One of his wives. So he's tired of being a wedding planner. He just really wants to be a travel agent now. Yeah, so he's planning three simultaneous trips at the same time and is mm-hmm. going along the same route. The dude was a Trying polymath. different hotels, though. He just couldn't decide what hotel to stay at. A misunderstood genius. <laughs> this continued to happen. Mm-hmm. Um... And during this time, Marion Hedgepeth... Who set him up with his lawyer. Lawyer, yes. Apparently hadn't gotten paid. (laughs) And was like, you know, I'm not okay with this. I'm just going to send this note on to the police about how, like, this guy had this plan to uh, swindle an insurance company and, like, hinted at maybe murder happened. Mm. Uh, So... Frank uh, Geyer, a Philly police detective, was assigned to investigate Holmes. Uh, And also, uh, at this point, the mother had started getting frantic about her three children that she could not see or find. And he was also looking for them. He ended up finding, uh, going to one of the houses that Holmes rented in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And there he found uh, the bodies of two of the kids, the two girls. In a basement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then he went to Indianapolis, where Holmes had also rented a house, where it was reported that Holmes went to a local pharmacy and bought some drugs that probably killed the third child. And then also had some knife sharpened around that time in town and probably chopped up the body before burning it. Uh, they did discover human bones within the chimney there. Small ones, I presume. Yeah. Yeah. Holmes was arrested in Boston <laughs> on November 17th, 1894. Hooray. Uh, he was held on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas. Not not tax evasion? They went with horse theft? Horse theft for his horse swindling stuff <laughs> when he was in Texas. I guess you don't mess with Texas. I, I They're going to get you. So it was after the two girls were discovered in Toronto mm-hmm. that finally put Chicago police onto Holmes. They were always aware about, like, his swindling stuff, like his 50 lawsuits, but not murder. Mm -hmm. So then they decided to investigate the castle. Now, as I said, no evidence could be found to convict him. By that time, there was some time to, like, clear some things out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, there was another fire that had happened that uh, went through some of the building and... Got rid of evidence that could have been there. And he had a small army of wives to come in and just, like, clean up after him. Yeah. (laughs) That were some dead. Well, there's that, (laughs) I guess. Uh, In October 1895, he was put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. Uh, He was found guilty and sentenced to death. Now, after conviction, Holmes confessed to 27 murders in Chicago, Indianapolis. Indianapolis and Toronto. Though some of the people he confessed to murdering were then found to still be alive. Wow, he really sucks at murder. (laughs) Uh, And also he confessed to six attempted murders. (laughs) You gotta bump that number up a bit, kiddo. Now his confession was printed in the newspaper and he was paid $7,500 for it, (laughs) which is like... That's more than he got for killing a guy. It's like $221,000 nowadays. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Now, it gave a lot of contradictory accounts, sometimes claiming innocence and then, like, talking about being possessed by Satan. 
And there are two different versions written. There was one that appeared in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and then there was a different version that was more edited that appeared in the New York Journal. So when you're being paid for a confession, mm-hmm. and you're already sentenced to murder, sentenced to death, you're going to say a lot of things. I guess so. He says 27. The the known victims, the yes, Absolutely he killed these people. incontrovertible. Are Peitzel and his three children. No one debates those. Mm-hmm. Now, it is assumed he also killed a woman by the name of Julia Connor, uh, which was in 1891 when he first uh, opened the pharmacy in the castle and everything. Uh, she was the wife of a man who was working for Holmes at the pharmacy, uh, and he had an affair with her. Well, there's your first mistake. Her husband left. And she and her child, Pearl, stay be- stayed behind. And they both disappeared on Christmas Eve mm-hmm. of that year. Dude loves a holiday, though. And it's it's believed that he did kill the two. There are some bones apparently found that were found that are often connected and believed to have been pearls because of the size. Obviously, Minnie and her sister... Mm-hmm. Um, Probably killed them. Like, yeah, I think we could put that in the, in the kill column. There was also uh, a woman by the name of Emline uh, Sigrand who worked uh, for him briefly, uh, starting in May of one year, and then was disappeared in December. That people pretty much always go with. Mm-hmm. Now he did confess to murdering the two girls. That we like. No, you did it. Mm-hmm. He also confessed to. Killing a former medical school classmate uh, named Dr. Robert Leacock in uh, 1886 for insurance money. But he, that dude didn't die to 1889, apparently. It was a very <laughs> slow moving. Yeah. He can kill you and it takes so long you don't even know you're dead for three years. Yeah. He's an expert. Now, the up to 200 victims, mm-hmm. that is a number that doesn't really show up until like the 1940s (laughs) it takes a long time to count that high give him some credit uh before then victim counts were in like the 40s Mm -hmm. because there is a long list of um possible people he could have murdered who came into contact with him who's known for business with him Mm -hmm. um but there's not the evidence or stories to like back up the claims. Right. Um, there's also a lot of names on those lists that like, well, this person might actually be this person we're talking about. And it's just like... Because <laughs> everybody's confusion. getting in on the alias game. Yeah. Now, another possible victim that a lot of people do believe was a woman by the name of Emily Van Tassel. Uh, she was an employee of his... The story goes back and forth mm-hmm. that she was a story or an employee of his the pharmacy, but some say that she worked at a candy store that was owned by Frank Wilde on the north side and disappeared after meeting Holmes a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's thought that maybe Frank Wilde could be another one of Holmes's aliases and that he owned this candy shop. This candy shop was located very close to the flat he owned with Minnie. Uh-huh. And then very close to a glass bending factory that he owned. For all your bent glass needs. Now, this factory, as far as anyone can tell, never used for glass bending. Mm-hmm. Um, all of our glass is straight as a beam. <laughs> in 1895, police went to this factory. Uh, it was off a road uh, that was known as uh, Sobieski Street at the time. Does not exist anymore. Um, but it's around where Damon and Fullerton meet uh, by the train tracks. Sure. Where, like, a metro line runs. So if you're familiar with the area, it's over there. Um, now, by the time they came, it had been mostly cleaned out by a man by the name of Patrick Quinlan, who was uh, a janitor that was employed at, like, the, the castle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had had some time to do this. Like, thing trial stuff had been going on for a while. Like, there was some time. Yeah. And as we all know, he was Holmes's first husband. Yes. He was tired of just having wives. Yes. There wasn't a lot a lot there, but there was a whole lot of uh, rubbish and, like, ashes in the kilns. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were personal items of minis, 
Ooh. Uh, there were notes that showed that there had been an extremely large furnace, and then there were some human bones found in an oven. That's just lunch. That's not murder. That's something different entirely. Yeah. Yeah. So this factory is often called Holmes's body dump. <laughs> if he did, like, murder dozens of people, hundreds of people, mm-hmm. it was not the castle where he would have, like, been getting rid of these people. Mm-hmm. It would be here. <laughs> Um, Just because, for practical concerns. Well, like the castle, so the story always goes that like the basement is the place where he would d- dissect the bodies and chop them up and burn them and everything. Right. Well, the basement wasn't like soundproof. It wasn't <laughs> completely shut off from the rest of the building. Like some of his tenants could just like wander down there. Mm-hmm. It's also like there's a lot of people in that building. <laughs> so it's not like the secret lair Well, if there were more people, he wouldn't have to do all this dang fraud, now would he? Or this factory. This factory is farther out. It's in a neighborhood. uh, It was a primarily Polish-speaking neighborhood at the time. Not a lot of people spoke English. Um, It was by... uh, But they do speak scream, right? Well, well, person's already dead, and you're just taking the body there. There's not going to be screaming. (laughs) It was also by some other factories, where there's probably, like, odd smells and stuff going on. Mm Mm-hmm. This place also, like, has more of the things needed to, like, burn a body, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Darling, what are some of the things I would need to burn a body so that it can't be identified by the police? A big kill? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Let me take some notes. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, you know. If this is probably the place where stuff would have happened. <laughs> like, he might have tried it at the castle and then been like, mm. This isn't working out so great. Let me go get a factory that no one's going to check out. So there, there's like nine people that, yeah, he probably killed them. So there's four or nine or 40 or 200, but almost certainly not 200. Yeah. Okay. And for as much as they say he was like, he's associated with the World's Fair mm-hmm. and like killing, there's only one known World's Fair attendee tourist that he killed and that is mini sister <laughs> and that's still a we assume that's, that's still a very very probably yeah yeah but it makes such a good story it though does. Oh my, i love that i love devil in the white city it's <laughs> so good it does do a really good job of like assessing some of these relationships and mm-hmm. why we associate these people mm-hmm. that could like these 50 people that could have been murdered by him. Like, why do we think that? Right. Why are these stories around? Um, there's just not a lot of proof. <laughs> <laughs> but on May 7th, 1896, uh, he was hanged. Dozens of horses staring at him. <laughs> you dirty rat. <laughs> I hope you burn. Uh, this, this was in Philadelphia. And he asked for his coffin to be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep and then like covered with like more cement because mm-hmm. he was worried about grave robbers <laughs> you know who would want to steal his body and use it for dissection look i don't want to upset anybody's sensibilities but grave robbers they dirty yeah <laughs> they get weird and i don't want any part of this um and trust me so when uh he was hung he he took a good like 20 minutes to die mm-hmm um, which led to a lot, led to a few, like, was it actually him? Did he actually <laughs> Because we die? know he had an infamously weak neck and anybody that... There's, like, all these stories about, like, well, maybe it was, like, someone else. Maybe he escaped. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was that. Recently, last year... Um, <laughs> That's pretty recent, yeah. Uh, they actually ex- exhumed his body, uh, some of his descendants who uh, requested it, uh, and it appeared on the History Channel series American uh, Ripper, and it was a show looking at, did he escape? But apparently this was something that Holmes's great-great-grandson, Jeff Mudgett, had wanted to do for years. <laughs> they kept the Mudgett they name? They kept the Mudgett name. So the body was exhumed, and it... Did not decompose normally because of all the cement. That makes uh, sense. The clothes were well-preserved. His mustache was apparently intact, though the corpse had, like, decayed. And they uh, positively identified him using uh, his teeth. So it was indeed him. He did indeed he die. D- he did die. He did die. 
and the world's worst sort of uh, art project to prove it. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, and so then he was reburied back at the same place, uh, which is Holy Cross Cemetery at Cemetery in Pennsylvania. Well, not that holy. Look who they've got in there. Yeah. I heard that dude was possessed by Satan. Oh, oh, oh. The Satan thing reminds me. There is like, though, this very famous uh, line where he says like, the devil is inside me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's associated with him. And there's no actual record of him ever saying that. <laughs> no record. Well, that's because he killed his personal stenographer. Yeah. We can't be sure. <laughs> she wasn't there to take notes in the in the jail. <laughs> now I know I needed one. Egg on my face. So, darling, what did you learn? Did no. you learn that you're disappointed in Chicago's most famous serial killer? A little bit, because, you know, I read the book, too. Yeah. The, the, the way it's told is told with such a certainty. Yeah. And, like, some things, you know, must be... A, a writer's invention, you know, he's not a mind reader. But, like, the description of a woman being locked and burned alive in, in like, this incineration chamber in the basement, mm -hmm. which might or might not exist now. I thought it certainly did, because you don't make something like that up. Or you, Other people made it up for or, him, Or, or yeah, you, you don't include it in your historical book without a footnote, without an asterisk. Like, there's one big asterisk in, like, the introduction or the afterword or something that covers all of it. But I would have appreciated more of, like, a thing-by-thing. Thing. You know, I give this an 80%. I give this, uh, like, maybe 25%, but it really works for my novel. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Larson's books, they're marketed as nonfiction. Mm -hmm. In a way, it is truthful. <laughs> like, he he's... Devil in the White City is taking all the stories that are commonly known, mm -hmm. all the facts that people just go, yes, that is it. Like, the history that it has been built into. I can at least trust it not, not to believe the claims that are obviously known to be false. Yeah. But yeah, so, like, there's a lot of stuff that has been, like, looked at that shows that a lot of the things that are commonly accepted are wrong. But I do think Devil in the White City is a wonderful book to, like, understand, mm -hmm. like, kind of what it is, but also, like, the craziness that comes out of something. Yeah, yeah. Some of the stories could be true, and we just have no way of ever knowing. Right. Because the place was destroyed multiple times and, like, emptied out. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder how many of the stories in the other half, when they're just talking about the fair itself... Yeah are maybes being presented as truths. Which could be a lot because there's <laughs> so much of that fair that is, like, it's so hard to come across stuff mm -hmm. for that fair. Photographs are very few. That is What true. survives. People kept diaries back then and yeah. wrote letters, many, many letters. It can be hard for that stuff to last. I guess the, the thing is, the sources, the most plentiful and readily available sources are newspapers. Uh -huh. And how much can you trust the accuracy of certain newspapers in the 1890s? Yes, exactly. Especially because a lot of newspaper stories at that time were reprints of other stories. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, With they wrote this. With a little bit of punch up. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're not going investigating themselves. They're not going interviewing themselves. They are just printing what someone else printed and changing it. Mm-hmm. To make it their own, um, which I think is how so many things get out of hand in that time frame. So something I'm surprised you didn't bring up directly, hmm. but I'm pretty sure you, you must have come across the, the theory that some people float that H.H. Holmes was indeed Jack the Ripper of the Whitechapel murders. Yes, that that is a very big thing. But like the time period where that stuff is happening, there's obvious... Links to him being in America. Yeah. Doing his thing. Yeah. Like, he couldn't have. There's no way. Well, 1888 was the year of the Ripper murders. Well, 1888 was when he was in Chicago building his castle. He was yeah. working as a pharmacist. He had his second and third wife. Mm-hmm. He he was there. There was like he had. This was when he was gaining lawsuit after lawsuit against him in mm -hmm. Chicago. That's one way to to make yourself geographically known. 
It's not as bad as people who think Marlowe wrote Shakespeare's plays despite being dead when they came out. <laughs> yeah. But it's close. Well, it's like, you know, it'd be something completely different if there were planes, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there just wasn't enough time for him to be sailing back and forth. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. and there's no, like, significant amount of time where, like, he's gone or he took a trip to Europe or, like, mm-hmm. and it's also, like, there's multiple people who kill people. <laughs> also, very different styles of stuff mm-hmm. and the way of going about things. I mean, if we are to take more of his alleged murders as yes, yes he did them. If, if we go from like the 90% sure to like the 70% sure. Yeah. And his numbers go way up. He seemed very experimental. He yes. He liked to kill people lots of different ways. Yes. I, I noticed that you had some gory details that you skipped over, but <laughs> like, trust us. Yeah, there's some stuff I decided to not <laughs> go into detail about. Uh, whereas the Whitechapel killings all were very, they're grouped together because they were the same MO. Yes. Yeah. Also talk about a very different atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You have someone who's built, like, if you go with the idea of this murder castle, <laughs> where every room is designed to kill, and then someone who's, like, slashing people on the street. I think, I mean, not, not to psychoanalyze serial killers, Although that is the best way to get people to listen to your podcast, I found. <laughs> Dang, there's a lot of true crime shows out there. Yeah. But Holmes strikes me as a guy that loved to get away with stuff. Mm-hmm. And see... It was about the swindle. It was about yeah. tricking people. And eventually there gets to a point where what can I get away with leads you to killing people. Yeah. You've done enough insurance scams. You've just got to stab somebody and see what happens. Yeah. And, like, I i mean, he definitely murdered people. I definitely What would you murdered, guess? Like, my guess of how What's many? Guess? At least 30. I was going to say, yeah, 30, but give or take 10. Because, like, records and stories we, are so... We know of, like, 10. Okay. Like, we have, like, these are a few yes and some, like, more than likely. Mm-hmm. So I would say, like, in that time frame, 30 would make sense. And I feel like... Why would you build such a weird place if you weren't planning to kill some people? Or do something shady. Yeah. And, and like And then you find out actually this place is good for murder. Yeah. Yeah. But like two hundred people are gonna notice, people are gonna smell things, like <laughs> also time frame. It's not that much time. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe when he was, you know, jet setting across the northeast. You you find a few drifters and you you drug them or something. You throw mm-hmm. them on the railroad tracks, but that's not going to add up that fast. I mean, I always knew that a lot of the stuff that was always said is not true, but it does make me a little sad to like find out how much of it's not mm-hmm. because I love that book so much, <laughs> and it is such a perfect like crime story. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that movie's coming eventually. They keep saying. I, part of me is excited and part of me is like, I'm excited because I want to see, like, there better be the white city in it. Yeah. Like, the World's Fair better be prominent. (laughs) I want to see those sets. I want to see that because there is very little available to see what that looked like. That fair is just, there's not much. Mm -hmm. That's what I want out of it. (laughs) In any case, yeah, no matter how many people he killed, it's a lot more than your average 35-year-old. Doesn't it make you feel like you haven't done much in your life? (laughs) He built two castles, many businesses. He got married more times. Yeah. Huh. What are we all doing with our lives? What are we doing here? Raising a dog. H.H. Holmes would have raised 50 dogs by our age. (laughs) Yeah. And they would all be dead in gruesome circumstances. Yeah, Yeah, probably. And that'd be a really sad episode that I would never do. So that, we're going to take a quick break and be right back with your letters. Yeah, and we have a bucket load of letters. Yeah, people really want to talk about serial killers. 
well, we just did. Yeah. So let's keep it up. Well, they, some people want to talk about other things, too. Like uh, Jeff, who uh, sent us answers to a couple prompts. Best thing that happened in 2017 is his dog, Phineas. Phineas uh, is a very good thing. Fer- Phineas is, is very good. He's a good <laughs> dog. Uh, Phineas brings a lot of joy to my life. I've never met this dog, but there is joy. Favorite activist, uh, Ida B. Wells, who was born a slave in Mississippi during the Civil War and became a bad reporter and civil rights activist. When her friend was killed by a mob, uh, she made America realize the horrors of lynching. When a conductor tried to get her out of a whites-only first-class train car, she bit him and brought the issue to the Supreme Court. Uh, and when suffragettes wanted to keep black women to the back, she didn't put up with it and, and got into uh, the state's delegation. So lots of very uh, amazing things. Jeff's favorite serial killer is Mario. <laughs> under the auspices of saving Princess Peach, he crushes those in his way under his boot. Those that are not as lucky are burned alive for his glorious cause. All this while he has the haunting rictus attached to his face. Mamma mia. What a chilling thought. (laughs) Okay, I don't know if I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this, but turtles aren't people, okay? (laughs) I'm just saying it. But turtles. Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Bob writes in, and his favorite activist is uh, one that's not nearly so well-known, Michael Paramo, founder of The Asexual, a blog devoted to offering asexual and aromantic individuals a space for their creative endeavors, perspectives, and activist efforts, including Michael's own writing about his experiences and perspectives as a gay, arrow, ace, Latino demi-guy. Some of Bob's highlights for uh, Best Thing of 2017 are completing his first half marathon, and that's the day after doing a 5K. Yeah. He also got a first tattoo, which was a personal goal, uh, the number 57.9, with the decimal point doubling as the top of a semicolon. It's the total distance in miles that he either has run or will in races, a 3.1, 6.2, 9.3, 13.1, and 26.2, the full uh, uh, marathon, which he's going to be doing later this year. Good good luck. Goodness. (laughs) You're brave. And the semicolon is a a symbol for uh, depression and, and mental health awareness, which is also pretty important to him. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Final Gamer sent us an email. About With favorite 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 serial killer. The first so far to to hit the new prompt. Well, well, not favorite. Most fascinating. Very clear about this. <laughs> and that is uh, Shawnee Bean, the supposed chief of a cannibalistic Scottish clan. Shawnee was born uh, in the 1500s and found a wife that was just as vicious as he was, and they lived in a cave and had. T- 46 children and grandchildren through interesting means. Uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. And uh, that they would ambush people at night, drag them back to their lair, and feast upon the human flesh uh, with supposedly thousands of victims until one group managed to escape and report to authorities. And then they were captured and executed. Uh, but Shawnee Bean is uh, not a real person, according <laughs> to historians. So take that. They think this mostly because, well, if hundreds of locals were disappearing, uh, people would have noticed, especially at this time, because it's a time where Scotland's uh, Reformation Act was allowing uh, free education to double the literacy rates in the country. So, like, people were going to school. Mm -hmm. People were seen. People were reading and communicating over long distances. Yes, and if you weren't showing up, (laughs) people would know. There are some incredibly similar previous tales uh, associated to to Scotland with very similar facts. And Shawnee Bean first appeared in uh, British chat books, which are like gossip magazines. Those chaps, I swear. Historians think that perhaps Shawnee Bean was a form of anti-Scottish propaganda during uh, the 18th century. But uh, the story uh, has 
was the original inspiration for the 1977 horror film The Hills Have Eyes and perhaps other uh, cannibalistic family that we see in Mm -hmm. stories nowadays. If you want more of The Hills Have Eyes, the next Riverdale episode airs March 7th. Yep. And that's the title. That is the title. (laughs) Thank you, Final Gamer. Thank you. Ian writes in with a favorite, uh, or rather favorite uh serial killer no one's gonna judge you all if you have a favorite serial killer no judgment we're all very open-minded here uh gary ridgeway the green river killer the green river killer uh racked up 48 confirmed murders uh 71 uh confessions and investigators believe the number may be 90 or more uh, he's the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history by confirmed killings. He had a 16-year reign of terror from 1982 to 1998, maybe even as late as 2001. He, he would strangle women in the Seattle and Tacoma areas and leave their bodies in heavily forested areas uh, to be eventually found in the vicinity of Green River. He did confess uh, in order to uh, avoid the death penalty and is currently serving 48 consecutive life sentences without parole in the Washington State Penitentiary. I guess if you want to visit or avoid it by about 300 miles radius, uh, either way. This makes me a little uncomfortable about Green River Soda. (laughs) That's very different. Hmm. That's going to be in store soon. <laughs> also, Ian says he would have wrote about H.H. H. Holmes, but he had a, a hunch that we were going to do it. Hey. There you go. You got us. Thanks, Ian. Aaron sent us an email. Been listening for a few months, going through the backlog. Also sent us some pictures of a fluffy loaf of a corgi, which is really cute. Oh, that's a very cute dog. I, I hope your your dog's surgery goes well. Yeah. We're, we're all sending good vibes to your corgi. And answers uh, one of our prompts, which was favorite episode from the first year. And that was my Jim, Hems- Hem- Jim Henson episode, because Aaron's a big fan of Henson. And your Battle of Michigan Avenue. Yay, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. And keep on plugging away, you'll eventually hear us say these things. Yeah! He was there during Gextra Life this year. Oh. He made up the RPG stat block for Jaws. Oh. Um, among other things. Nice! Uh, Seth writes in uh, to say their favorite serial killer is a fictional one, John Wayne Cleaver, the main character in the John Cleaver series of books. I wonder how they got the name. Uh, by Dan Wells. It's a young adult thriller series. Uh, The first book was adapted into a movie called I Am Not a Serial Killer. (laughs) I don't want to give any spoilers, but hey, it comes with with Seth's recommendation. Thumbs up. Though his favorite real-life serial killer is Jack the Ripper, just because of the way he seems fictional. He always shows up yeah. with like vampires or werewolves or he's getting possessed by demons or in Star Trek he's an alien that possesses people. So thanks Seth. Claire took rights in and she goes with a, a slightly different route, not a, a favorite individual, but the city of Adelaide as serial killer. Uh, it's where she grew up and uh, occasionally bears the title serial killer capital of the world. Uh, Though Adelaide's murder rate is below the Australian national average, Adelaide's murderers are are very stick-to-itive, I guess. (laughs) This all gives the town a a reputation as a dangerous place to live, though probably unearned. As an American, it it all comes down to the spiders and whatnot you've got. I I think that's that's how Australia goes from my perspective. I'm only scared of the bugs. (laughs) And they're Deadly accuracy with beach volleyball. <laughs> but as for a favorite activist, she points to the, the organization, uh, the, the loose organization, Anonymous, and their uh, work against uh, the Church of Scientology and exposing their practices uh, that are poised to extract 
money from people uh, in, in need of something greater in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just the way that Scientology's litigiousness kept people in fear until you get a large, distributed, structureless, nameless, faceless group yeah. that, that stymied their, their efforts. So thank you, Claritic. Horan writes us with uh, an answer to this prompt. Or During late 1918 uh, in New Orleans, there was a string of murders that were happening the same exact way. A house was broken into with an axe, like axing at the door or the window, and then the person would go in and... Axe at the people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Twelve victims were reported uh, by October 1919. And then a letter was received by local newspapers, and the letter said that, like, next Tuesday night, I'm going to come to New Orleans. And the murderer was fond of jazz music, and uh, to quote, I swear by all the devils in my nether regions that every person... (laughs) In in the nether regions. Oh, the nether. I missed words. I thought that was funny. Uh, To quote, I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. So, like, have jazz music and party and I won't kill you. Or that day that he threatened. Mm -hmm. That midnight. That midnight. The the dance halls were all full. Jazz was being played. People were out. And no one was murdered. And the Axeman was never heard from again. That's and a heck of a just party. A mystery as to who it was and what and why. <laughs> yes. Well, if you watch the fourth season of American Horror Story. <laughs> Thank you, Porin. Thanks, Porin. Uh, James's favorite serial killer is uh, named either uh, Canis Fang or Sir Handugan. It depends on what fan translation of Ace Attorney Investigations 2 you played. <laughs> Uh, but as for favorite activist, James goes a bit far afield uh, to say Martin Luther. He's uh, certainly a reformer, uh, you know, the Reformation and whatnot. But hey, uh, teaching people to not pay their way into heaven, uh, make the, the word of God available in the, the language people actually used from day to day, uh, and affirming that that faith is, is what will save you uh, all seem... Like a pretty good deal. I mean, the third one's debatable. I seriously don't know where I stand on faith versus works. But, hey, it works for James. (laughs) And so uh, through his activism, through his efforts, uh, the the entire course of world history has changed. Yeah. Very true. Thank you, James. Well, if you would like to be like all these swell people and send us an answer to a prompt Mm -hmm. or uh, a question, a show suggestion, a comment pictures of your animal uh you can send that to history honeys podcast at gmail.com speaking of prompt do you have a prompt for us next week or next time uh i think we're gonna move quickly away yeah we're, we're gonna have a tight turn yeah and i'd like to know people's favorite roller coaster Ooh. and again you can send those to History Honey's podcast at gmail.com. And while you're at it, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't think we use those nearly as much as we should. And yeah. I apologize for that. Uh, let, let, let's make that our New Year's resolution, just slightly late. Yeah, yeah. I'm really bad at the Instagram, actually. <laughs> but it's because I'm busy with the dogs. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and those are all at History Honey's. Yep. Each, each of those. You can also... Spend some time exploring the World Wide Web by giving us a rating or review. We do appreciate every single one. We were at we're at uh, 69 ratings oh. last I checked. No one's going to give us another review. But a rating. you can bring us to 69 five-star ratings. Oh. And then you're not ruining it. You're making it even better. There you go. There you go. You can also tell a friend. That is uh, one of the best ways to, to help the show grow. Word of mouth is, is a powerful thing. Our mouths are all we've got in this audio medium we call life. As much uh, as I try to, like, do dance moves and hand gestures, <laughs> just doesn't work. And you can help it work for us. Uh, telling friends, telling family, uh, telling your dog walker. Uh, telling Cardwalker that we mentioned him uh, on our Epcot episode. Yeah. Yeah. 
But we appreciate every single one because, hey, we don't do anything to advertise. No. No. It's all on you, buddy. Pressure's on. But with that, I hope everyone uh, today, those who choose to celebrate, enjoyed a good Fat Tuesday. Yeah, Punchki Day! Before we... I am so excited. Before we started recording, we placed our pre-order. Uh-huh. We're trying a new place, so I hope it's good. They offered rose petal filled ones, And though, those are the which best. Is so good. <laughs> they better be good. Oh, I hope theirs are good. When I've had them before, they're so good. If you ever come across rose petal filled Polish baked goods of any sort, mm-hmm. eat it. Another one that doesn't get enough play in this custard and strawberry world, uh, poppy seed Poppy filling. seed. Poppy seed so filled good. stuff is so good. We, we won't be seeing you until two weeks, so uh, those of you who uh, uh, observe Lent, I, I hope it's one uh, that is fruitful and reflective. And those of you who observe half-off Valentine's Candy Day, have, good luck. Have fun on Thursday. Uh, Beat the crowd. All the May ho- the odds be ever in your favor. All the holidays are this week. <laughs> uh, and with that, I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.